Welcome back to Hollywood Boulevard and Doug's eating a cookie. I did. I'm well, I'm I'm holding a cookie. I'm gonna wait till someone else is doing some talking and then I'll eat it. I wanna discuss this cookie. What kind of cookie is it? It is grandma's vanilla cookies. Oh cookies. So it's plural. You're having well, more than one. I took one out of the bag. How many have you had? You've only had two? All right, so I can only have two also. Ooh. Anyway, so yes, when we're not eating cookies, we're going to the theater. And we, includes me and to this podcast, special guest, my beloved Alyssa. She's back and she has lots to say. <laughs> she has come, she has uh, accompanied me to many shows. And as we approach the end of the, the New York theater season... A lot of the big Broadway shows and small Broadway shows um, have been opening. So we're going to talk to you about a bunch of them. And then I think Alyssa will join us again in a couple weeks and we'll revisit um, the very end of the season. And after the awards have been, uh, the nominations have been announced um, and we'll do a little bit of our like best of. But for now, we're going to fill you in on uh uh, what you may be missing and what you guys maybe can go see. So I think let's start on a pretty high note with a Broadway transfer of a musical we both saw separately off Broadway a couple years ago. We got to see the show Hades Town together, didn't we? We did. And you um, describe Hades Town while I eat a cookie. <laughs> uh, Hades Town is a it's. It's described as a folk opera written by Anais Mitchell, who has a sort of an indie folk background. Right. There was a um, it, it, it was a concept album back, I think, in 2010 mm-hmm. with Justin Vernon and uh, Anais Mitchell herself and Ani DeFranco, among a few other people. And it is the retelling of Orpheus and Eurydice in sort of a... New Orleans folk. Yeah, it's like a jazz and, folk, yeah, kind of thing. And we both loved it separately when we saw yeah, it downtown, right? Yeah, I saw it twice in a week because <laughs> I saw it and I loved it and I went back again a week later with a different friend and loved it so much and really couldn't wait for it to transfer to Broadway and it played, um, it was just on the West End in London before it moved here. Where where was it off Broadway? Was this done at New York Theatre Workshop? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. In the village, yeah. Okay. Is it summer of 2016? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, how many shows did they transfer this season? I don't know. What else have they transferred? What the Constitution means. Oh, yeah. yeah. Was- and wasn't there something else? Did they transfer something else? I don't know. Maybe, I'm, maybe not. Maybe not. So did uh, did the show hold up um, from, because, you know, sometimes things get lost in the in the move to, you know, from, I mean, New York Theater Workshop space is what, maybe 300 people in their, their space down the village? Maybe. Yeah, especially with Hainstown, they, um, they changed the space around where, we were sitting on like wooden chairs and kitchen chairs, and so I don't even know if it was 300 people. It was like in the round, and um, the action was happening all around. It was um, 
really call it immersive. Sure, immersive. So there were, so um, the audience didn't really interact, but yeah, the snake-like almost was the way the actors sort of uh, moved through the audience. So several of the actors have stayed with the production, and I would say several well, of the best actors. Say, not several, two. Two. Two, which, yeah, two. And they've... But wouldn't you say those two are, like, no, the best? No. Th- oh. I mean, yeah. yes, but, like, I thought the original off-Broadway cast was as perfect as you were going to get. And I think the casting changes are not for the best. Correct. But who can we praise from the show? Um, Patrick Page as Hades and uh, Amber Gray as Persephone. Yeah. Was Patrick Page with the original cast or no? Yeah, they've done every production of it. They were in the national. They were at the National Theater in London. Okay. And rightfully so. They're they're both great in it. Yeah, they, and they get to. I think they really run a, a striking gamut of emotions that are like sexy and sinister and vulnerable and um, uh, really kind of intoxicating to, to watch both of them. So interestingly enough, um, Patrick Page was also the villain in the Spider-Man musical eight years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. And the Spider-Man in that musical was Reeve Carney, right. who assumed the leading role in uh, the Broadway version of Hades Town. And how is he? Terrible. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? So, okay. So I have... I don't have a bias, per se, against Reed Carney. I was a fan of his in Penny Dreadful. Um, I wish he wouldn't just assume he was the torchbearer, the be- torchbearer of Jeff Buckley, like Jeff Buckley's dead, and <laughs> you are not him. Um, <laughs> I love Jeff Buckley, so I'm particular about, you know, every time anyone sings with a falsetto, they're like, he sounds like Jeff Buckley. Um, but Reeve Carney is, is giving probably the worst performance on Broadway this season. <laughs> I am not kidding. Like, I, so, I think it's not all his fault, though, because they've made Orpheus into, so, off-Broadway... He was played by Damon Dano, who um, actually does sound like Jeff Buckley, (laughs) believe it or not, which is one of the reasons why I liked him so much. But he was like sort of like an aloof, like musician who. And there was like a '50s like rockabilly kind of sensibility, yeah. Sort of like he had a leather red, uh, red leather jacket, and he um, was aloof and sort of like in. He was like to party and he wasn't really paying attention to like, okay, you're writing the song, but we have no wood for the fire and nothing to eat, which leads or uh, you Eurydice see. to, mm-hmm. to want to go down to Hades town. Whereas, so now they have, they've really toyed. Anais Mitchell also did the book and she's really toyed with it to give it, I guess what she believes is more structure. Um, which there's nothing to the Orpheus and Eurydice story, and as it worked off off Broadway because the score was so good, but now we've have this thing where Orpheus is quote unquote touched. 
right. which I think makes I I think it means autistic. In this yeah, that's kind <laughs> of oh god, savant. Like um, they can't just make him flawed. What his lack of attention to Eurydice that ultimately results in her going down to Hades in town is um is forgiven. It's it's written off. Yeah, he's he's like a savant who is like as like a musical. He's a, the son of a muse, and his song is going to save the world because it's going to bring spring back, which I guess ties into Persephone. But, like, Persephone brings spring back. Like, I guess they're trying to be like, well, Hades is going to be nicer and let Persephone back to the under, like, from the underworld. But, like, that's the myth. Like, she spends six months in, on top and six months below. Right. But, and. So, wait, are they trying to rewrite the myth? No. They're, I, like, fleshing it out. They're fleshing it out. Okay. So, but they make Persephone and Hades sort of like an old married couple going through issues. Yeah. Like their song, his song brings them together and is what makes Hades like let Orpheus try to bring Eurydice back from the underworld. Which is fine. Um, I accept this because, and then like Eurydice is sort of like the other woman in a way. Um, he's like, you know, if you don't, I forget the lyric exactly, but he's like, you know, if you don't want my love, I'll give it to somebody who does, which is when he Eurydice comes down. But so, but Reef Carney's terrible. Like he's like singing in a really like forced. It's sort of re- falsetto, which sort of reminds me of when Adam Sandler used to do like Opera Man. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Sound. It doesn't sound natural. He's, like, very stilted in his movements. He's, like, very awkward to watch. Like, I wouldn't... I would, like, not want to leave Hades Town if I was your to I'd be like, no, thank you. <laughs> and, and they've also made him, like... Well, also, he, he's very whiny and nasally when he speaks as well. He's just... He's awful to watch. And um, he's <laughs> just terrible. And again, I liked him in Penny Dreadful. But... And then he... They've also turned Orpheus into... So, one of the big problems I have with the the transfers off Broadway there was Orpheus, Eurydice, Persephone, Hades, Hermes, which, and three fates, and that was the whole cast. So they've put an ensemble in the off and the Broadway transfer, which sort of which I don't think works fully um, because in the first act they're just sort of backup dancers in like, skinny jeans, so it grounds the show in a time frame where, like, off-Broadway, it seemed timeless, even though it was supposed to be modern, but it seemed, like, just timeless. So now we have, like, it reminded me of, like, the old Nickelodeon show Roundhouse or, like, <laughs> the Fly Girls from Living Color. Like, it was, like, these background dancers, and it's, like, but they're distracting. Like, I don't need to see them, like, dance with chairs. Like, I don't need backup dancers. They work in the second act because they're they're the workers in Hades Town that Orpheus is supposed to like be a rabble rouser and lead them out of yeah, Hades. That's to help another free, ridiculous yeah. thing. Um, so the ensemble didn't work. It diminishes the use of the fates because the fates sort of worked as a, the ensemble. Although the three actresses playing them 
on Broadway are really great. Yeah. And also, um, I don't think we mentioned that Ava Nobelzada is the actress on Broadway now who is yeah, playing Eurydice. Yeah, she's neither here nor there. The problem is that she looks 14. Like... She was also on Broadway in the Miss Saigon revival. Yeah, she sang yeah, as the lead role. She sings pretty, and but she does nothing. I mean, Nebea Bay mm-hmm. was in off Broadway. Yeah, she was much more confident. Like her, her Eurydice was more confident, and they. I mean, even Lazada and Reeve Carney don't have much chemistry either. Like I can't mm. really figure out why um, she would want to drop everything for Orpheus, but I also I blame Reeve Carney. <laughs> I blame him for everything. Because um, I don't think it's Rachel Chapkin's fault. No, I who think. is the, the director who also helms Natasha Pierre in The Great Comet and does a lot of kind of epically inventive staging. Immersive. Immersive. I think that immersive is just anything that is like they might walk around the yeah, they might walk through the audience. No, like it doesn't have to be involved. Like cats, I guess, was immersive. Apparently, um, the chandelier and Phantom is immersive. No, why? Because it, it could hit you. No, it's that's not immersive. That's just a prop. Anyway, um, uh, but the staging itself. I mean, I think the lighting. I think the set is very clever. I think it's too fussed with. I mean, the score is still be- brilliant. Um, the sh- the bones of the show are still brilliant, but it's too fussed with. They've made they tried to make it huge, and Broadway and polished. When it's like you had a really great thing going, and now it's like there's a turntable, there's an elevator, there's there's a pretty awesome set change. Um, like I said, there was the ensemble. There's so the, the band is on stage. There's so much going on on stage um, that and it's like dialed up to eleven. All the performances, which is it's still a really strong show, and it's still probably the best musical of the season. Um, I guess maybe we'll talk yeah. about one other candidate <laughs> later but, on. Um, but I I was sort of mad watching it because I waited three years for it to come to Broadway and they just they really really just fussed with it too much and I guess they thought that nobody could follow the story of Orpheus and Eurydice. I mean people then why move it to Broadway because it got really great reviews it it developed a cult following I think I would say the following is even bigger than yeah it was a big hit and it deserved to be on Broadway I mean but I mean of course but if they were it just sounds to me like the producers or somebody did not trust the piece as it stood to be what happened yes you know and I'm wondering is this because like Great Comet ultimately flopped without a big name uh, you know, without Josh Groban, for example, filling in that role. Great Comet was such a huge show, though. And well, yeah. I think they tried to follow in their footsteps when it was like, this is just the cast of... Also, we didn't mention Hermes, who's the other principal. They So off-Broadway, he was played by Chris Sullivan from This Is Us. I don't know his character's in This Is Us. Uh, I'll say Mike or the, Steve. The chubby hot one. Who's <laughs> uh, married to Chrissy Betts? But he was like a really awesome, like 
bluesy, you know, he had a really bluesy voice. He was dressed in like a black leather vest and a fedora. Like it worked. He played the, I think he played the harmonica. Like it was, I was really into it because he, it was like the interesting thing about the off-Broadway cast was like, it was all these people who would never be cast in a musical. They had all these like really unique voices that could sing really well. And now they've, changed the character of Hermes, and it's played by Andre DeShields, who's 73. Right. Yeah, it comes from a very different musical acting. Yeah. I mean, he sort of, like, now takes on, like, I don't know. I don't know the the type of character that I would... Well, I feel like Chris Sullivan in Off-Broadway was really giving it his all. He was, like, sultry and really in it. And Andre DeShields... Has this like regal? Well, he's playing the elder statesman. Is that? Would yeah. You- yeah, like Chris Sullivan was sort of menacing too. Like, yeah, he's the messenger. You know, Hermes is the messenger, but like, also like, you know, he played both sides of the coin, and they haven't really changed Hermes's material though. He's supposedly like was friends with Orpheus's mom now, um, so he sort of is like a. A go-between? Like a godfather of Morpheus. Like, he's, like, urges him more. He speaks straight. But he mostly, like, narrates now. And at one point, I looked over at Andre DeShields. He never leaves the stage. But I was like, oh, right, you're in the show? Like, he made no impact on me. And I just... Wow. I think people are, like, overreacting to his performance. I think, A, because it's Andre DeShields, and he's 73. and But, I mean, he does, like, six shows a year. So it's like, why are we still Mm. shocked that... It's um, true. He's still on stage. Um, it's not like Elaine May um, from earlier in the season. but And I, I guess he, like, does some fancy footwork, but it's like, who cares? Who cares? Hmm. It does like, he can't sing as well. It doesn't really work for me. Yeah. But I, what I will say, and if you've been any kind of repeat listener of Hollywood Boulevard, you know I've not been too high on Broadway output. Um, regardless of everything that we have said, I still think Hades Town is among the better Broadway achievements yeah, of the season. Yeah, I agree. I I will say, though, that um, so Orpheus's big song, I can't let this go. Orpheus's <laughs> big song is called... So he, like, there's... In the course of the show, there's an epic one, epic two, epic three. So epic one and epic two are sort of him writing his song, working out his songs. And Epic 3 is the final song that he sings to Hades to get him to agree to bring or uh, Eurydice back. It was an amazing song off-Broadway. Dave and Dano did an amazing job. Justin Vernon sings it on the concept album, and it's amazing. They've rewritten and reworked the song to act to having no melody and being just kind of terrible. <laughs> and uh, it, Reef Carney doesn't help. But I was, I don't, can't remember how, the last time I was actively mad in a theater, like, during a song. And it's really, like, the emotional crux of the show. And I was just so pissed. I'm sitting there so pissed off. So, I don't know what. Nothing else from the score has really changed. And I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah. Okay. That was the opportunity, yeah. It had no melody. It was like it was like he was like free associating up there. Well, 
Hades Town says sounds like a trip into hell on Broadway. I just I th- I think that I I think the money people got involved. I mean, if you look at the if you look at the playbill, like the lines of producers, like they're it's like endless, and it just sounds like they came in and said we need to make this bigger for Broadway. I don't think you're wrong about like maybe Great Comet flopping, like gave them pause. Yeah, I mean Great Comet. I, Hades Town, I to me was always like Great Comet's little sister, but um, but not to diminish it, but it, yeah, you know, it just seemed like a on a smaller scale, and they've blown it up, and it doesn't always work. Maybe right. if I hadn't seen off Broadway, would I would love it? I don't know. Right. Right, because now you know what it was, and right. you know how they messed with it. Yeah, I don't even think of it as the same. Sh- the bones are still there. The score is mostly there, but it's a different show. Speaking mm-hmm. of different shows, and speaking of Damon Dano, Yay. we also saw the revival of Oklahoma that I talked a little bit about last week, and I said when uh, my beloved joins, mm-hmm. I was going to let her speak to it. So. We've now seen it twice. We saw it off-Broadway in Brooklyn, and we saw it now uh, a week or two ago at the Circle in the Square. And and what are your thoughts on this this different, darker? Darker. Did they futz with it? No. Well. On the transfer from what it was to bring it. No, no, it's very similar from what it was. They just have one cast change, which I was bummed about. Michael Nathanson was Allie Hackham. Um, off Broadway, and I thought he was terrific, and he had great comedic timing. But now it's Will Brill who is—he uh, plays Noah on *The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel*. The brother. Yeah, quite well. He's one of my favorite parts of that show, um, and he's really good too. But I don't, so I don't know what the deal was. But there's something about. So I enjoyed it off Broadway, but I was like, this is very long. It's. For some reason, it was like draining. The seats were really uncomfortable. Well, we, the seats were hard benches yeah, for three hours. Hard, yeah, they were like really hard wooden chairs. Um, and there was a lot that was just unexpected about it because it was yeah, so. Not, I guess so. Not that they have they have reworked the show in a way that is faithful to the show. It's just everything is less cheerful, which is probably yeah. much truer to the way life I mean, was during again, that era. They haven't cut any songs, they haven't rewritten anything, they have not... The dialogue is the same, yeah. The ending's a little different. The dialogue is the same, but like, I've always thought Oklahoma was dark and creepy to begin with. Like, Judd Fry is creepy. Like, there's a lot of darkness in it, but in 1943, when it was when it debuted on Broadway, it's like, yeah, you know, let's now let's sing a big rousing anthem about and when, Oklahoma. And when the, the and when the musical itself was being formed, and then Rodgers and Hammerstein were re- repurposing the whole format, it was, you know, the easiest way to do it is to have uh, lots of song and dance and sunshine. And so, you know, it's stripped. Oh, oh, an applicable word here. I mean, it's funny. I just complained about the ensemble in Hades Town. There's no ensemble in this Oklahoma. So there's no real dancing. There's like three auxiliary car- actors who like do the other um, minor speaking roles. But if you don't, but there's no there's no ensemble. Um, it's another fo- folk arrangements. Curly plays the guitar. 
Yeah, some unplugged sounding things even. Yeah, the mics are turned. They are mic'd, but they're turned way down. Um, the lights stay on for 99% of the show. Um, you know, and it's just a wooden, it's a, it's a wooden floor and so everything is bare bones, but it's still Oklahoma. I mean, people are complaining. It's not my Oklahoma. And it's like, I don't understand like what, but like Hades Town off Broadway, it's like, you have Rebecca Naomi Jones and Damon Dano and Ali Stoker and Patrick Vale, who would never have been cast in the roles that they're playing now right. in a production, which makes it great. Like, Damon Dano is one of the best voices in theater right now. Um, but he's hard to cast because he sounds like he should be fronting an indie band, not so much like playing Billy Bigelow, but it's great that he's playing Curly, you know. And he's giving a great performance. Rebecca, the whole cast is terrific. Like Mary Testa is brilliant and should win a Tony. Ellie Stoker is really great. And she's in a wheelchair for those Mm -hmm. know that. And um, it's great to see she's just cast because she probably was the best to audition to play Ado Annie. Like they don't make a big deal about the wheelchair. It's not like, oh, Ado Annie's in a wheelchair. It's not like the Glass Menagerie from a few years ago. With Sally Field, like, so it's really great that it's inclusive in that way, and, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for, and for those that don't know the the basic story of Oklahoma, it's um, this young woman named Lori has two men vying for her. One is Curly, one is Judd Fry, and the way that this show um, is envisioned by the director, Daniel Fish, it's essentially... Um, we get a very different take on all three of them. And none of them are um, as clean cut or super villainous or, or, or naive as they were initially portrayed. And it gives you some greater insight into what life must have been like about 110 years ago out in the Oklahoma Territory. Um, and yeah, I think it really excels at every level. I think um, every aspect of the staging and the choreography and the singing uh, is is really on point. Well, um, I don't. I still don't really know what to make of that dream ballet. I think I think the reason. So they've taken the dream ballet and now opens the second act, and it's one actress um, who does very avant garde modern dance. I mean, she's, like, licking herself. She's, like, pretending to be on a horse. She's very sweaty and rolling around on the floor. I don't know what any of it means. Um, I've tried to make sense of it. Like, shoes, like, cowboy boots fall from the ceiling. Um, <laughs> it's hard to watch. Like like I said, she's sweaty. She's licking herself. She's, like, panting. She's all she's, over that. She's staring at various yeah, audience members. Like, she's... Um, and I think that's what makes people... Like, it makes you uncomfortable. And I think that's what people are reacting to. Um, like I said before, it's like a lot of people are like, it's not my Oklahoma. It's not my Oklahoma. And it's like, when was Oklahoma anybody's? You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, the, a lot of people are like, well, this isn't the author's intentions of having it so dark. But they haven't changed a word. This is the author's material. Right. But people just, you know, they overreact. They, they over, they, they just ownership and of things, and they have a sense of entitlement. Yeah. But also, there's this 
you know, Doug and I talk about it all the time. There's a trend in theater, um, especially Broadway. And it was really apparent last year with the My Fair Lady revival. That's still playing. I don't know what I said last year. It's like um, when Lauren Ambrose was cast, everyone was like, oh, this is not a great production. She's not great because it was not someone they would have cast. It was right. not so now Laura Benanti's in the role, and everyone is like, she's brilliant. This is a brilliant production. She elevates the material, the whole thing. And it's like everyone just has, they just want what they want, and they're very standoffish against. Yeah, my mind is made up. Don't confuse me with the objective facts. Right, they're, they're not keeping an open mind about what they're, they're kind of like, yeah. Yeah, because that's actually why, like, you know, I'll have press ask me for a copy of a script from a new play that they're coming to review, and they'll ask days before. And they know they're going to read it before they come to the theater, and I won't send it, because I don't want them to cast that play in their head. Yeah, I yeah. agree. You know, they're going to read it, and they're going to say, oh, and they're going to have an actor in mind for a role, or, you know, whatever, and they're going to they're going to picture the play in their head before they come and see it, and what they're going to end up reviewing is they're going to, well, this isn't the play that I wanted to see. Look, I'll be honest. I asked Doug. I cast Tony Asbeck in every role, <laughs> but I'm not upset when he's like not. It Bill. actually in it. Yeah, like when he's not Bill and Kiss Me Kate. Like, yeah, he would have been a really good Bill. Yeah, he, he would have been a better Bill. He also would have been a really good friend. Yeah, yeah. He would be in good in every role ever. But um, but I'm not like we still going with our eyes open. Yeah, I'm not like well, fuck this. Tony's not in it, you know. Um. Yeah, Oklahoma's good. So anyway, liked it off Broadway, loved it on Broadway, and it might be my favorite thing on Broadway this season. Yeah. Wow. I think that we had really good, we were in the front row, so I got to watch a lot of, like, close-up, and, like, Mary Testa's doing really subtle things, Will Brilla's doing subtle things. Mary Um, Testa is, like, a four, four four-and-a-half-decade veteran of the stage, and um, it would be great if this was the one that maybe finally brought her a Tony. Yeah. They're doing, yeah. like, Damon is doing really, like, they're doing small, subtle things that really... And are, that are very deep. It's the best ensemble. It's the best cast of the year, I think. Awesome. Uh, I, um, it's definitely one of them, yeah. I can't think of anything I'm trying to think. Maybe we'll hit on something else. We can talk about another one of your favorites, though, because we can talk about the show Burn This, which is a oh. revival of a play from the late 1980s by a really wonderful playwright named Lanford Wilson. Uh, and growing uh, growing up, that was always one of the shows I had missed, not getting to see theater in the 80s. Um, and was it's kind of storied because it was, you had these, Big members from Steppenwolf doing it on stage, John Malkovich in a very polarizing performance in this very kind of crazy role, and Joan Allen winning a Tony for it a year before she did the Heidi Chronicles. So it was always one of those, if I could go back in time, I would love to see this play. And I had read it back when I was a teenager, and I had not read it again since, and I really came and saw it with different eyes. It's a lesser play. It's not a very good play, and it is about a woman who is a dancer um, and one of her two roommates. One roommate is a, a gay man who works in advertising. The other roommate um, is, a has, gay man is, is, a, is a gay man who dances and has died prior to the start of the show in a boating accident with his 
presumed boyfriend. Um, so the focus is on the woman and how she is sort of going to go on with her life and kind of reconceive her, her life. And the other catalyst aside from her dead best friend is the dead best friend's crazy brother. And that's the role that John Malkovich played then. And now it's played by Adam Driver, Kylo Ren himself. Big, big Adam Driver. That's what everyone's saying. He's so big. He's, he's just so the biggest hulking. guy. He like really like, he takes one step and he's on the other side of the stage. Like. <laughs> um, and Carrie Russell plays Anna, the the main woman. And so our one of our other favorite actors, Brandon Uranowitz, Who plays the other Who I also cast and everything. Who is very good. And proves, I think, with this show, after two uh, Tony nominations in musicals, um, just how versatile he is. Yeah, I mean, he is... He he would probably get nominated for this. So it's three nominations in six shows. Um, five or count, six, right? Well, Baby It's You. Oh, sure. I'm not counting Ragtime, and then he was replacing it in The Band Scissors. Yes. Um, so the thing about the show is it's, it's, it's overlong. It's ill-defined. It's really unclear what we're supposed to make of this Anna character, let alone, like, the crazy character played by Adam Driver, Hail Be Thy Name. And um, uh, and Carrie, uh, Adam Driver is like a kamikaze shot in this show. Uh, I think he's really, really great in um, not undefinable ways, but in very unorthodox ways. In this play or in general? No, I think he's more definable in general. I think think this is a little unorthodox because it's it's an odd seduction that he's doing. And it's one that ultimately works because it's a character we shouldn't like. And he's able to make us like him. Um, I but I think it's sort of like this. I like him a lot, but I think it's sort of the same thing he does in Girls and uh, the movie What If. If you, anyone has seen it, that's just me and Kristen probably. Yeah, any, anyone <laughs> is a little Canadian movie that I think Zoe Kazan wrote, and uh, Daniel Radcliffe was also in it. Zoe Kazan and. And Adam Driver, like he does, like animal magnetism, sort of dangerous guy. I shouldn't be in love with, but I can't resist him. Pretty well. I mean, that was that was his character, in girls. girls. You know, um, except Pale is in his Pale sort of seems to have his shit together, but not. I don't. I really don't know. He has a job. Yeah. <laughs> he makes good money. It's, um, well, it's it's the uh, the Anna character in the show is basically the one if she, if she likes him, then ultimately we like him. But it's weird because we don't know enough about her, or where she is in her life, or where she has come from to understand what this crossroads is. And so Pale comes in to kind of help her, like figure out what's next for her. Um, you're making a face. I mean, do you think Lanford Wilson has any really strong female characters? I'm thinking. Mm. Oh, I mean, what do you think of Tally's Folly? Do you think she's not an interesting character? Is she interesting? Yes. But I don't think it's, like, she I think she is, I think she is a more rooted character than the female character in Burn But Anna is, well, Anna is always, is very much like, Oh, I, I have no personal life because all I do is dance, and I dance, and now I'm choreographing, and I, I give up. But like, she lives in a loft. She 
is pretty successful in her field, it seems. I mean, she seems to be spending money frivolously, even if she, she claims she doesn't have it. She has a boyfriend who's a rich screenwriter. Like, her life is... Like, I don't feel sorry for her. Like, and we're supposed to feel like she's given it all up for the dance. Um, and it's, like, half-baked. Yes, yeah. And I think it's because Lamford Wilson doesn't know what to do with a woman. Could be. I will say, in this production, though, Carrie Russell doesn't seem to know what to do with a script. No. <laughs> I think it's a hard role. I think, like, she's too... Um, self-conscious, I think. I think you need somebody... I said Marin Island, who's not my favorite, but she at least can, like, She's lose a herself in a more role. more powerful, yeah. yeah. Like, Carrie Russell had no... I almost said Carrie Washington. That would be even worse. Um, Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie Russell has no chemistry with Adam Driver, and I think part of it is his fault, too, that no one is saying this. Like, he is so overwhelming in the role, not just physically, but, like, he comes on the stage and he's like the Tasmanian devil. Like, um, so he starts at a 10 mm-hmm. and has nowhere to go, but he's very good. Don't get me wrong. But like, he just starts at a 10 and like, sh- no one is going to match him. Right. Right. It's, it's, it, it, does it feel like he's in another, a different play from everybody else? No, I no. just, I think that's how the character is written. I think that's the blueprint. I think so too. I oh, read right. that John Malkovich also probably started at ten, um, but John Malkovich is a different actor than I think Adam Driver is. Um, I don't know. Like, if you were to dreamcast the role, I don't know. I'm like I'm trying to think. You know, I think Rebecca Naomi Jones might actually have been able to do. A good what job. about Pale? Oh, for him? Yeah. I don't know. I'd really have to think about like it. Like, Jake Gyllenhaal was supposed to do it originally, and I can't see him in it because he's... I've never seen him really, like, lose all abandon in a performance. I think for anyone to, to succeed in these roles, they have to be... They really have to come up through theater. Yeah. Not, not be dabble. Fair enough. Tony, um, Tony, I, Tony has that. Yeah, right. <laughs> As yeah. any of the four. I yeah. love him, but no. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... But Brandon Uranowitz is very good in a role that sort of sucks. Like, he's like the snippy gay best friend, but he 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 gives it a lot of debt. Well, I think that's a significant part, because he's the only one of the four characters that really suggests a world outside this apartment, that, that, that you can have yeah. a life and a career, and that there's there's a world well, outside their solipsism. doesn't... It's clear he doesn't have a partner. Yeah, but he makes money and has a family. Yeah, he has a family. We know that he goes and sees them. But, like, I don't... I think that he... It's like a lot of the reviews compared him to, like, Will from Will and Grace. And I think that's valid in that Will never seemed to... We're not talking about the reboot because that's awful. But, uh, like, Will always seemed to give up everything including relationships for Grace and was always single when she wasn't. And I, it's sort of the same thing with Larry in Burn This. Like, you know, he never, we never, any like inkling of an idea of him having a relationship is like, you know, he rolls his eyes or whatever. Like it's a total ridiculous idea. And so he is sort of sexless. Mm. 
But I mean, it was written in eighty. Well, it's on yeah, eighty eight. Yeah. Um, but what did we also see that we liked recently in musical form? Let's see. So this is the second time we have seen Tootsie the musical because we saw it in previews uh, or during an out of town tryout in the fall in Chicago. Uh, what did you think? Good, not great. Yeah, it was good, not great. Um, it, it had some issues, but it was ultimately very funny. The cast was good. The score was not so great. Um, but I was like, well, maybe it's because I'm on a little vacation and um, <laughs> I'm in a theater I've never been to, and I'm like trying to um make the most out of the situation. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm in the theater every night in New York, and it's like. I was just at this theater. You know, there are times we were at the Signature four times a week. You know what I mean? Like, with the public. 59 yeah. 59. Yeah. yeah, so it's like I was just here, and I just came from work, and I just want to go and watch Vanderpump Rules. But, like, <laughs> but so I liked it, but I, 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 it had its fall. But that was then, and this is now, because I think they have put the whole thing together in such a way that it is the best-paced um, and funniest show I've seen all season. Um, and every actor in it is close to perfect, and just every punchline lands, and it moves so seamlessly now. And they haven't... David Yazbek is the composer and hasn't changed much of the score, but it does work a bit better now. And uh, as the lead role of Michael slash Dorothy... Santina Fontana, I think, is really winning and charming. Um, and I think the supporting cast is great. We had a wonderful time, though, is the bottom line. So I think between Town and Tootsie, yeah. they probably duke it out for, like, the, the, the best achievements in original musicals on Broadway this year. Yeah, I mean, I still think Town will win score and um, best musical because people... It goes back to what's, like, it matters till it doesn't with people... In theater, like and me too. Well, that has nothing to do. Oh, with. oh, I thought um, that's where you were going. Where, like, you know, we don't like like movie adaptations. Um. So, but if you compare it to, we haven't seen Beetlejuice yet, but like Pretty Woman is the other big movie, movie to musical. Stage, yeah show this year that's just a carbon copy of the show of the movie right down to the costumes like they haven't done anything to adapt it like Tootsie they've adapted they've moved it's she's no longer starring in a soap opera she's starring in a Broadway musical it has some like funny like references to musicals but nothing or nothing musical that's theater, too inside musical theater world baseball, yeah. um, unlike the prom that's just like patting itself on the back like, look how much we know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <coughs> so, excuse me. So you get a lot of, like, like Reg Rogers plays a really hilarious uh, director, and Julie Halston is really good as the producer, and um, John Bellman is hilarious as a reality star turned musical theater star. <laughs> or star to be. Yeah, and it's... And, and he's, it, like, these are, really hilarious. And some and of these are, are smart changes from the film to the movie, uh, from the film to the musical. Like, the Johnny Bellman is this young, like, really jacked and tall actor, 
and he's playing a role that was played by George Gaines, who was like the old man who adopted Punky Brewster. So <laughs> they they have updated it in ways that show that this is not a lazy adaptation that are able to feel like fresh and contemporary. And, you know, for those that are arguing about what, what the the lead character does is really unforgivable. He's lying to people around him. He's taking parts from women who should be uh, cast in things. He's lying to the woman that he has feelings for. All of that is true, and all of that is right there in, in the book, and it's addressed appropriately without hitting you over the head in the Me Too era about yeah. what's right and what's wrong and what's... Um, uh, what's the word that I want? Redeemable. And he learns... First of all, we're never really supposed to love him. Like, we... The show acknowledges that he's awful, that he knows what he's doing is awful. Well, he's not awful. He's he's wrong and very flawed. Yes. Um, and the show calls him out for that in a way that still makes us like him. He's not an anti-hero. Um, he's not an anti-hero. No, I mean, I don't... But some people might see him as such... No, he's not... Um, and I, I mean, Dustin Hoffman was always, always as abrasive because that's just Dustin. Because that was Dustin. Yeah, they, like the character in the movie is significantly more caddish than the the version here, who is primarily like just about his career and being super focused on the work. Yeah. So they, but I, and I think it's really refreshing that it's not like he never like he has kind of a big revelation towards the end and realizes that he can't go on and has to admit what he's doing. But it's never, like, schlocky and overly sentimental, and I hate that, and that's probably why I really like the show. And the book is really strong and funny. Like, it's funny. It's legitimately... And it never never says. Like, it's it's start to finish. No, it's a legitimately funny book. I mean, there are some, like, silly jokes, like... You know, John Bellman's character is like, they said I didn't have good grandma, but I loved my grandma. She was 97. Which is, like, dumb and, like, force-belty, but I've always sort of liked that. But it, but it works, and the character owns it, so I feel like that's fine. Yeah, and we talked about Oklahoma's cast. Like, this is one of the best casts yeah, of the year. that was the other one I figured we were going to get to, yeah. Mm. Okay. So... So the, Wait, also, are, I have to say, Andy Groucholin is giving one of the best performances of the year. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is the actor who plays the, the Bill Murray role of the friend uh, and roommate of uh, the the lead character. Yeah, it's a very, very funny um, part that, that he's very good in. So now we are at the point in the podcast where we can talk about one show that we have saved for last, and it's a show all three of us can talk about. Alyssa, what do you know about the playwright Lucas Nate? Absolutely nothing. She's lying. Uh. He's, I would say favorite of like the the newly emerged yeah. modern playwrights. She's shaking her head at the word emerge. But I mean, there are still living playwrights you like. Yeah. So I, I don't I'm want to steal the thunder. I'm shaking my head because the rest of them suck. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have yeah, read. I've read or seen or read... Actually, I've read and seen everything he's written. And, and even a couple years now uh, ago, uh, she had read Hillary and Clinton, which yeah. is a show that is now mm-hmm. on Broadway, and that you too have seen, Karen. Yes, I have. So we've basically been waiting. Um, we haven't talked about it yet with you. What are your thoughts on the show? 
I liked it. Um, I, I mean, I loved Laurie Metcalf. I loved Laurie Metcalf. Um, I mean, just give this woman every award, even if she's not on stage. I, I mean, she's phenomenal, and I think that she did a tremendous job in a, what I think is a very difficult role. Um, you know, they're asking her to play Hillary Clinton, and it is so hard, I think, for actors to play living people who are in like who who live in this world and you see them on TV and you see them you know it, it, you hear them you hear like and she she was she was Hillary Clinton but she wasn't doing a caricature of Hillary, Hillary Clinton um she was playing a role and she was doing it really really well does that make sense yeah um lucas makes a point of like in his play he says you shouldn't, you know, the actors should not try to imitate them in any way. They shouldn't look like them. They shouldn't try and sound like them. They shouldn't them. try and sound like them. I mean, Bill is like, everybody has a Bill Clinton impression. So it takes you right out if John Lithgow was up there trying to do an art right. draw, draw. But, um, but yeah, and this, yeah. this play was written before the, 2016 election, and it's set during the 2018 primary, 2008, excuse me, uh, primary season, um, and and shows the difficulties that a Hillary Clinton had in trying to um, run on her own, and and how Bill played a role in that, and how eventually Obama um, played uh, a role in that, and. Um, but this I, is all made. I mean, this is like it's conjecture. Conjecture, yeah. But the, but he does something interesting structurally, which is to say, this is not um, like he's not trying to fabricate something that may or may not like. It doesn't come from research. He's not trying to do some sort of historical uh, reportage. What he's trying to posit is like this is. Uh, th- an exchange that may or may not have happened between, I was going to say, Billary and Hill, Hillary and Bill. Um, but the point is that it, it, it's about what people think of them and imagine may or may not have happened between them because it's it's ultimately to me about what other people's perceptions and takeaways are and how that influences the actual people and, and what can happen to them. Um, there, you know, there are key lines and examples in the show, which is a slim show, but I also think one that doesn't have like a wasted moment or reference in it. Uh, well, that's what the, I mean, that's true of all of its plays. Um, but I think this is the idea of that this woman that he says, he, he does this sort of meta structure that, that that's kind of ethereal and out in the universe. Like this is a couple named Hillary and, and Bill having a conversation. The idea is really about what it's like to be someone who just can't win. And we see that in an exchange in the very, in, in a moment in the very beginning when she goes on stage and there's no microphone there. And she, you know, kind of got to uh, re adjust um the idea is about what it is to be someone who through mostly no fault of her own 
cannot win. And it's because of all the things she cannot control and the things that are in the hands of other people. And I think that's mm. clever and understated enough in the play. But if you also want to look at it like this is Laurie Metcalf and John Lithgow playing the Clintons, they do a pretty phenomenal job that looks like it is, um, you know, layer peeling on its own. So I think uh, as, as, you know, 85 minutes is the running time, but I think it's actually a, a pretty um, deep um, examination. Any other thoughts, honey? No, I think it's good. Uh, two things. <laughs> um, we agree about Lori. I, yeah, yeah and John Lithgow's amazing. And I've seen it now twice, and um, I think they've gotten better. Um, it's not my – so – I read it a couple years ago. So it was in Chicago originally with a totally different cast. And I think in 2016, this is the theme of this podcast, 2016. And, um, <laughs> Where everything started. I read it and I was like, this is it was good, but not great. Um, I, it's definitely not one of my favorite plays of his. It's probably right in the middle. Um, I never would have picked it to be on Broadway. Although, ironically enough, when I was reading it, I was like, Laurie Metcalf would be great in this role, but I don't know if we feel. But and you and you read and thought that before yeah, Laurie Metcalf yeah. did the other Lucas Nick yeah, play. Yeah, I did what Karen too. I did what Karen said. I read it and was casting. And You're my, casting in your head. It wasn't days before you um, saw it. So I think, but I think it's he's a he's a really smart playwright. He's a really smart writer. He's not really poofy, he's not overly sentimental, which is probably why I like him. He's very smart. Um, he has you thinking a lot throughout all his plays. Um, do I think it would have come to Broadway without them? No. No, I don't think it would have. On Broadway without them? No. Um, but they're so good. And I... And I commend, I can't believe I'm going to say the words. I commend Scott Rudin for bringing it to Broadway because it's sort of, the Clintons are very polarizing, um, especially Hillary. And I think that's what mm -hmm. the play touches on, that, like, people have had enough of them. And, and, it's, the and it's, does, about, it's about the baggage. Well, and, yeah, it's, I mean, the whole thing was about her being unlikable. I mean, that was sort of like the takeaway that she's sort of talking about and how, you know, that she's just, people just don't feel warm, you know, uh, towards her. And not to open up a can of worms, but like, you see now like Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren and Chris, Kristen Gillibrand are having the same problem. They're like, well, I don't. Oh, you know, Kamala Harris says she listens to Tupac. I don't believe her. She's so phony. Or like Kristen, Kristen mm -hmm. Gillibrand didn't know how to eat fried chicken. And it's like, oh, so phony. You know, they're always, nothing they see, they they do is seems genuine. They don't seem likable. They seem like they're trying too hard. But, you know, men, it's like, oh, aren't they, you know, aren't they great? They just, they say whatever they want and they're so warm and they're so friendly and like Obama too. Obama, everybody wanted to be Obama's friend. And, yep. Um, everybody. And the place that, you know, like the play makes a case that like everybody loved Bill for his personality, for his sparkling personality. They loved, um, they wanted to hang out with him and Hillary never, you know, was even, never likable enough. Was even never among sympathetic Democrats, enough. Like, 
plenty of people that said, you know, I would vote. For, I. It's not that I don't want to vote for a woman. I just don't want to vote for that woman. And right. Like, like where they would say oh she's too old doesn't she want to go home and be with her grandkids it's like she's the same age as donald trump like you know a man is never too old or phony or unlikable right Uh, and even amongst women and and it's not even with politics too i remember like a friend of mine in college was like oh you know i just i like male professors more (laughs) it's like but why like and I knew I knew people would only take male professors, or would only want male bosses, or whatever. Right, or go, only go to male doctors, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, this this problem or issue definitely transcends politics. Oh yeah. yeah. No, it's truly it's societal. But I also think that, like, no matter how smart and experienced and qualified Hillary was, it's like the play says, you know, like she says, you're my curse. Um, cause Bill is like, yeah, I went to a witch doctor and he said, I'm cursed. And she's like, you're not cursed. Later on in the play, she says, you're not cursed. You're the curse. You're yeah. my curse. And I think it's true. It's like, I think if Bill were to run again, people probably would vote for him and he probably would win. But like Hillary, people are just like, Oh, she can't be trusted. You know, her email. She was, she was using him. She yeah. was using him. Why, you know. And and even the play mentions, like, all the flack she got for, like, standing by her man in 1998. And it's like, if she divorced him, people would be like, I you can't believe she, him. Yeah, you I didn't can't really believe love him. Yeah. So she can't win. And that play, and the play, that's really the thesis statement of the play. It's like, she just she can't win. <laughs> And I don't know if, I don't know what what kind of woman could win at this point. Michelle Obama, maybe. Nah, they'll they'll, they'll find a reason to. Well, I mean, call her unlikable. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, she showed her arms. Yeah, her arms are too muscular. Yeah, she wasn't classy enough. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It digs into the double standard without going into overkill. Yeah, so I I enjoyed it. I thought it was um, it was time well spent, and it was my first introduction to Lucas. I don't know his work outside of just like you know reviews I've read and stuff like that. So um, I I won't say I was bowled over by the play, but I thought that it was really smart and insightful. Yeah, yeah he's a smart writer, and he's very. Um... He has, like, a science background. Um, like, he originally was doing pre-med, so he, science plays into a lot of his... Oh, that's interesting. He, he does a lot of things about marriage. You know, like, I mean, it's, I think yeah. I think the heart of Hillary Clinton is a marriage play in adults. Mm-hmm. House. It was a marriage play, and the Christians had um, a marriage at the center, and um, I guess I was excited this, too. Um, but... And he, he gets criticized a lot for people. Like, he's not really writing plays. They're more like debates. But I think it's more of like he just really – you take away a lot from his plays. And I'm always de- – you can always have really deep conversations about what he's trying to say. Like The Christians, for example, is a play about a mega church pastor who one day is like, you know what? Uh, we're not going to believe in hell anymore. 
I don't believe in hell and this church is not going to either. And one by one, his parishioners start abandoning him. His wife is questioning their relationship. Um, he loses money. His, he loses, he loses essentially everything for basically saying, I don't believe there's a hell. And it was, it was a really smart play that I remember leaving it with my friend and we were talking about it for weeks after because it opened up so much room for conversation. And I feel like that's all of Lucas's plays. And I don't see that. I don't feel that way about any other playwright. I don't think mm -hmm. there's a playwright right now who has as, most, as much skill and attention to his writing like Lucas Nathan has. I have a question. Karen, had you ever seen John Lithgow or Laurie Metcalf live on stage before? I've never seen Laurie Metcalf. I feel like I might have seen John Lithgow, but I'm not sure. Mm. He, isn't that well, great? Like, you, you end up seeing so much, you're like, I don't remember if I saw you. Um, when you see so much, you can't remember necessarily what you... Who you've seen. Yeah, but um, but I thought I honestly I thought she was tremendous. I mean, he was good. She was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, she is. So, yeah, so Lord, I hope she wins a third. Um, but I I hate everybody and everything. So, <laughs> um, I don't know. I think she probably. I mean, she probably won't win a third. Um. I, I think people really want every show to ha make a statement and be part of the quote unquote conversation and, um, you know, be about race or gender or whatever. Um, and they try to make everything timely and involved in current events and and lucas doesn't write like that and i don't think no. hillary and clinton is that way mm -hmm. and it doesn't really do any it's just a play yeah on it's stage. A, i mean his writing is more clinical and it, it's not yeah. cold but it is kind of a clinically written like uh, all, like all of his play and and what seems to really rise in the current moment is are things that make you feel that are like yes, softer absolutely. topics i mean everybody is like i ugly cried Oh, I saw, you know, the prom 50 times and I ugly cry and it's the best show ever because it has lesbians. And it's like, it's like, yeah, I, I believe in equal rights for everyone, but I also believe in, you know, scripts that make sense. You know, haven't we they heard about the five lesbian brothers or yeah, they probably haven't. I, mean, I, this is like, oh, there's so much that's come before. I know they're goldfish. It's like head over heels. Wasn't just. A Go Go's musical. It was, you know, the queerest musical of all time, ever. It's like, you know, it's, people elevate things, and they're just like this. Made, you know, she sang really loud, and I cried, and I ugly cried during this show. And it's like, it's Sesame Street Live, and you're like, you're ugly crying, and <laughs> Big Bird the Tony. But <laughs> you know, Lucas just. And another thing about Lucas is, it's like. He doesn't, he's not on social media. He's not, as I always yeah, say, showing right, yeah. his ass. Like, mm. not literally. I mean, like, showing his ass would be like, you know, really like putting himself out there and making a case, unlike some playwrights who I won't name, about how important they are and how brilliant they are and how amazing they are. Like, I mean, Doug and I read a, um, 
I won't name names again, but um, do you remember the playwright who said he wrote nuanced characters? The playwright said this about his own characters. He's like, I write nuanced characters. Like, you won't find Lucas, like, talking about himself that way. Um, although there is a New Yorker uh, profile in about him this month. But anyway, um, and I think that, like, for people, I guess, his off-putting or that he doesn't, he's not elevated to, he's the most produced playwright in America, but he's still sort of underrated, I think, because he's not promoting himself. He's right. not promoting. Right. Just some food for thought there. And you just get out there and promote yourself, boy. Go on. He's, he's nice to look at too. So when he gets himself together, but <laughs> but he's a nice looking guy, and like you know, he could really. But I I like having. I don't like having Lucas up for grabs. I like <laughs> my Lucas. Yeah. Well, uh, this has been a whirlwind. Is, is our Lucas now? It has been clearly. We got things to say. I so know. That's why Alyssa's going to come back again in a couple of weeks, and we're going to recap more. Yeah, I'm going to say how great it would have been if Tony Asbeck played all the roles. <laughs> Stay tuned for that. You're going to have to clone that man. He's so beautiful, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> Jurassic Tony. Just a theme park where you go and, like, he's all over. So, you see him in his on the town costume. You see him in the Cradle Rock costume. So yeah, still playing at Classic Stage Company. If you want to <laughs> That's right. He is currently on the boards. Um, so yes, this has been um, a good uh, trip down Hollywood Boulevard. Even if we spent most of it just smack dab on the middle of Broadway. Yeah, I mean we don't we are not really watching anything. No, no time. There's no time. Watch right a lot of. Bravo. Yeah. We can talk about that some other time. Yeah. One day, I'll, <laughs> one day I'll come on and try to convince you to watch all the housewives. Yeah. And you need to, we need, you need to take me through. Like, this is, this is what I want. Okay. She will. This is we what will. I want. I want you to take me through the real housewives. What, what is the must see? Who do I need to, any, I need, I need the schooling on the real housewives. I will give you that. Okay. And to any listeners as but well. But New York is happening right now, and it's a ama- it's really good season, and the cast is really amazing. So start there. <laughs> there you have it. Uh, all right, y'all. So hit us up on Facebook. We're at uh, Back on the Block Pod, and five star us on iTunes. Yep, Alyssa. Do you want to give any of your uh, social media info out so um, people can find you and see what you're saying? So um, I'm. Everywhere on the internet, I am a powerful beat. So easy. Yep, and you can see some of her beautiful makeup photos, too. (laughs) She is a pro at that stuff. The Jacqueline of many trades. All right, so I guess that's, that's it for us this week. Yep, we'll have more TV and presumably more theater to talk about, certainly more Melrose to talk about um, in just a week's time. Uh, And that'll be when we see you back on the block. Bye. Bye. Bye.